Welcome to the briefing in summer mode. I'm Annika Smithhurst, currently enjoying Queensland summer, which is a lot hotter than Canberra. Tom Tilly, where on earth are you? I am just floating around the New South Wales coast, bit of family, bit of fantastic summer wear. Actually, I've just stayed in the same pair of boardies the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're taking a break from our daily briefings and bring you a more relaxed summer mode version of the briefing. Yeah, we're going to find out which interviews really piqued your interest and then we're going to go back to those people and find out how their stories have evolved since we first spoke to them, what they're doing now and where that story is. Yeah, so Nick, you've got in touch with us via Instagram and you told us you've been listening to the briefing in bed with your fiance. Is that true? Yeah, it is true. It's like one of those things that we do um, after we sort of have dinner, cruise into bed, instead of sort of reading, it's something that we both like to listen to. We don't really uh, do much news through the day and it's kind of one of those things that we can catch up on the, the latest stuff that's been happening and it's just pretty easy to listen to and when, you, when you're cruising into bed. Wow. Um, does it ever um, get the mood kind of, you know, heating up? Or <laughs> Well, Tom, like you've got one of those voices that's pretty <laughs> calming and relaxing. So, you know, <laughs> one thing might lead to another sometimes. Oh you're not, you're looking at, you're, it's not an exciting time, is it? Right? <laughs> Look, the news is always exciting, Nick. Um, now, let's get down to business because you told us that one of your favourite episodes was the road trip through Trump territory, which we put out just a couple of weeks before the US election. Let's have a little listen to some of that episode. It featured Jacob Grieber, the Washington correspondent for the Australian Financial Review. As soon as I got over the border from Maryland, you could feel the mood change. It becomes much more Trumpy. You, you see signs everywhere for, for Trump and Pence. You see kind of roadside stands selling Trump gear, flags, even uh, even Trump masks, although I don't know too many of them are wearing them these days because that's a political thing over here as well. But you just instantly get this different mood and a different way of looking at the world. If you were to ask me what's the number one thing that, that jumps out when you ask people why they support Trump, it almost always comes down to, to the abortion issue. If they tell you they are pro-life, you, you basically know they're Trump voters and they're locked on and they'll forgive him for pretty much any other atrocity. That's what motivates them more than anything else. Nick, that was one of my favourite episodes too. What was it about, I guess, Jacob's description of the US that really engaged you in this episode? We were due to be in America in October. So we would have been going through pretty much what Jacob was going through and actually seeing what was happening in the States. And it, it's a story that everyone was following. I mean, it, it got away from coronavirus for a little bit. We can actually follow something different in the news and not yeah. see everything about coronavirus. But the way that he explained how people voted for Trump, and and, and that's something that I didn't know, and I'm not super educated on on political stances and what was actually happening in the state. So I was one of those people that was like a few years ago, there's no chance that Donald Trump's ever going to be the president of the free world. And uh, I was very wrong. So I followed the story for the second time, sort of going, okay, so what, why are people voting for this guy or why are people voting for Biden? And it was one of those stories that kind of explained it a little bit to me on, on, on why people are voting which way they go. Because I'm sitting there going, there's no chance that he can't get in again. And then it got so close. Yeah, and so I guess hearing that explanation of the kinds of people and the kinds of parts of America that were voting for him, did that change the way you then watched the results come in um, during 
the 2020 election and I guess also the uh, the strange aftermath that we saw. Well, well that's, that's exactly right. And I didn't really know which parts of America were so... Uh, such big supporters of Trump or, or, or were, were, were not supporters of Trump. And hearing that that story that he told about, about abortion and people that are pro-life and they were the pro-Trump voters. And I, I, I didn't actually understand that until I heard that story. And it sort of gave me a bit of a different perspective on the different sorts of people that there are in America. Now, Nick, you're still going to make it over to the US. And has anything about that trip, I guess, changed either your route or what you're going to do while you're over there? Oh, look, it did maybe stop and think about it a little bit and go, okay, there are places in America that I don't really want to visit anymore. <laughs> but I think you kind of have to get the full experience. It's one of those places that's very different state by state. And I think um, I think there will still be a lot of people that will go over there and give on, given now that, that Joe Biden is going to be the president, that's going to be a very different place, I think, over the next few years. All right, mate. Well, we do hope you get to America and we, we hope you keep listening to the briefing, you know, in bed or, or wherever, you know. It gets listened to in your house in 2021. Thank you so much to you and your fiance for, um, yeah, being part of the briefing community. No, we really appreciate it, guys. You guys are doing a stellar job. And as I said earlier, it's just something, it's a different way of listening to the news and it's a great way for us to catch up on um, what's happening around the world. So that was Nick. I love the way him and his fiance listen to the briefing, Annika. Yeah, not sure how comfortable I feel about being in the bedroom there with Nick and his fiance, <laughs> but if they're happy to have us, that's good to <laughs> So good. Um, all right. Well, we're going to get Jacob Grieber back on the line. We now know how the election played out despite Trump's false claims of fraud. Biden won the popular vote by 7 million votes and won the Electoral College. And Jacob is now back in Australia. He's been through quarantine, but will be soon going back to the States again for Biden's inauguration on Jan 20. Jacob, we loved hearing about your road trip through the Rust Belt. Did the election play out the way you expected it to or were there some big surprises for you? I thought it was going to be a close-run event um, and that road trip was kind of one of the big things that informed that view and I think that was right. I think, you know, we we didn't know the outcome for quite a few, well, at least a week until those sort of four swing states came in and it became clear that Joe Biden would get the 270 votes that you need to win the Electoral College. I don't think I picked up, I mean, the size of the overall vote uh, was a surprise. People were incredibly motivated in this election, um, and that's on both sides. So Donald Trump got more votes as a presidential candidate than anyone in American history, with the single exception of Joe Biden. So it was an incredible turnout, and it shows a country that's just a split uh, after the election as it was before the election. And the, the big question in my sort of mind is how does Joe Biden deal with a world in which uh, more than 70-odd million Americans voted for the other guy? That was going to be my next question there, Jacob. As you say, tens of millions of people still voted for Donald Trump. So what happens with that anger or that, that love for Donald Trump? Does that just disappear? Will they accept the result? And will there be any goodwill towards Joe Biden from that cohort? I think there's going to be a, a hard rump there. And we can debate how big that number is. Is it 10 million? Is it 20 million? Is it 40 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump and do not accept the election outcome? They simply don't. They, 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 they buy into Donald Trump's claim that it was stolen or rigged or somehow nefariously handed to Biden on a platter. They, they just don't believe in 
in the hard evidence and the facts. And, you know, we've seen more than 80 judges shoot down the vast number of attempts by Trump and his campaign to overturn the election. Um, I mean, overturn the election is almost too too sort of gentle a word. It, it's 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 kind of almost a treasonous uh, attempt to disenfranchise millions and millions of American voters in the states where they voted for Biden and not Trump. So it's it's just an extraordinary state of affairs. That is not going away. You're seeing it online. You're seeing it in in some of the rallies that are popping up. Uh, of the more extremist sort of groups, um, I mean, these 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 people are cranks, but they have a they have a broader appeal to a whole bunch of other Americans who just sort of shrug their shoulders and go, "Of course, the election was stolen. Of course, the Democrats took this away," and, and that's going to be an overlay for Biden on everything he does. And there's an, an a very large group of Republicans in Congress who completely support the president in this sort of mad conspiracy view of what happened. I think it was, wasn't was as bad as some people were expecting, though, Jacob. People were talking about civil war and, like, you know, really frightening, violent levels of unrest. But we didn't really see that much of that on the streets. And I, I was interested when you said, oh, you know, is it 1 million, 10 million, 40 million? How big is this backlash really? Is it is it just a bunch of fringe lunatics that then maybe helps generate that narrative for a broader range of people but is is it really that many and will it be really that dangerous well we're going to we're going to see as we get to the inauguration itself it's going to be a real test of how much that that sort of crazy hardcore group gets whipped up into a frenzy uh, and I wouldn't discount the possibility of ugliness like real ugliness happening just yet just because it didn't happen in the immediate aftermath of the election doesn't mean that those people have gone away I think you're right I think you're implying that it wouldn't be the vast majority of of Trump supporters who think that way I think that's mm. absolutely correct but there is a there is this group that that you have to keep an eye on that's very worrying and, and we're seeing little flare-ups all the time uh, with some of the rallies and the violence associated with them. And whilst Trump might be gone or heading out the door, the idea of Trumpism, I guess, as an ideology, the idea of being anti-globalisation, America first, rural areas feeling they don't have the same representation or the same feelings as, as sort of East Coast or LA-centric people... What happens to that ideal? Do they get behind the Republican Party or is that an idea by itself? Well, this is what the Republican Party is going to have to confront in the coming months and years. And and I think part of this whole large group of Republicans who are backing Trump and backing the argument that the election was stolen, they're the people who are going to carry on the Trumpist banner for the Republican Party. And they want to make sure that the more moderate Republicans don't come back in the door. So they're they're doubling down on Trumpism and 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 as you described it, those sort of you know populist slogans and and arguments that the other side is an existential threat to American life. I think if Biden demonstrates that in his in, which he will, I suspect that he's not the end of the world for Americans. That he's not some crazy socialist who's going to tear up everything that, that America believes in, that'll blunt some of that view. 
but you, I mean, you just see it. You just see how determined a lot of those people are, uh, and how much support for Trump there was. It'll continue. It'll be a, it'll be a real thing for a long time, I suspect. And what do you think this means for us, Jacob? Um, you know, Australia's partnership with the US is so important. Um, it seems to have impacted our relationship with China, which is in a bad place. There's also the the COVID dynamic where Australia's doing quite well, but America's doing really badly. How do you think these shifting dynamics in America affect us going forward? I think we're going to have to do more work in a Biden administration um, than, than in a weird sort of way we might have had to do with the Trump administration. We, we kind of had an in into that White House, uh, perhaps in a way that we hadn't in the past, and also because we were one of the few allies who, who sort of accepted Trumpism and Trump's authority, uh, whereas, whereas I think most of the other traditional allies in America were, were so, you know, were so ticked off with the treatment that they got from Trump that everything just deteriorated. So Biden will be going back to those old allies. I'm talking here mainly about Europe. So for Australia, I think we're going to have to, you know, they do care about us and they are worried about the whole China thing, but we're also going to have to compete with all these other allies to be heard. Biden seems to be instinctively more of a, an Atlantic sort of a foreign policy guy. So so for us, that's that's going to be a bit of a hurdle. How much he wants to get into a real fight with China is another question. He's not likely, I don't think, to to escalate it more. He'll want to he'll want to get back to some of that more basic sort of relationship that that happened prior to that. So in that sense, that's probably good news for us. On COVID, America's got a long road still to go before it it gets this thing under control. The the rollout of the vaccine is going to take. I, I, I'm guessing, and I'm no expert on the the medical side of this, but I'm guessing most of this coming year, 2021, before flights start to resume and and a kind of a world that looks more normal emerges. Jacob, you've lived there with Americans during this bitter fight. What's your sense of them as a people? Do you still have faith in America, the great country that it was for the last you know hundred years, or do you really think this is a, a point where it's changing as a country. I think we have to ask that question. So I preface that by saying, look, the American people are amazing. I love them. I'd never actually been to America. I'd been to a lot of places around the world, but I'd never been to America until I got this <laughs> posting. Wow. Um, yeah, and so I arrived there in my late 40s and I just, they're the most fantastic people and they're incredibly diverse, but they are dealing with a set of problems that are so big you get the sense that it's beyond them. And I think the most depressing thing about the last four years, but it, but it's certainly been in train for longer than that, is just the destruction and undermining of the institutions of America and the cynicism that's now very ripe. And that just makes it really hard to solve problems logically, using facts, using science, because in America it's about belief, what I believe. And that makes it just, I mean, the COVID is just the prime example of that. When you, when you can't even get a basic agreement on something as simple as wearing masks, I worry about how you address really hard problems. Yeah, interesting to hear your, your own personal story there a little bit, Jacob, coming to America at this stage of life and having such a visceral experience reporting on it and being amongst those people at such a fascinating point in history. Um, you've just done one lot of quarantine, getting home for Christmas and, you know, spending summer here with your, your family and friends, which must be so nice. But you, you're looking at getting back pretty soon for the inauguration and, and 
diving in for another year of it. What's it like for you personally um, reporting and working in America at this point in time? It's a it's a it's a funny sort of world in that the COVID things meant that you're kind of isolated in one way. You're, you're looking at a lot of things through a screen. I think that's unusual. I don't think uh, that's anything previous correspondents have had to deal with. But you still find these incredible communities around you, and people are just desperate for you know human contact and and the sort of normal things that we all take for granted seem to become even more important. So. Yeah, it's a it's a very strange world, and Americans are tired. They're they're so worn out by it because it's it hasn't it never really let up, uh, and then our dealing with what you might call a third wave even, uh, and this one will this one will really keep going through Christmas and into the new year, and because it's winter and that's when all these things sort of spread around. So they've still got a tough road ahead. There's no doubt about it. Jake Graber, thank you for your insight this year, not just now, but joining us throughout the year to give us a really good insight of what's actually happening over there in the US. It's been something we've really enjoyed and so have our listeners. Thanks for having me on, both of you. That was Jacob Greber from uh, the Australian Financial Review. He's their Washington correspondent. And Annika, you've known him a long time. I actually saw his work for the first time this year. I love that big feature article he did about that trip through the Rust Belt. Yeah, he was at the Finn Review um, in Canberra and I was surprised to hear he hadn't actually been to the US before going over there because, as you say, his writing has been incredible. He's been, you know, a real contributor to, I guess, our understanding of what's gone on over there this year. But maybe that's the key, not having any preconceived ideas of America. Yeah, and I love the way he said he loves Americans because I guess there has been so much criticism and intensity about America, but there is something so unique and um, sort of so energetically infectious about Americans when they're at their best. Yeah, I've always found that the perception of Americans as a whole is very different to my interactions with them one-on-one, which I've always found them incredibly generous, uh, engaging, warm, as you say. So it's good to see that despite some of the bitter political divides this year, that they still remain really generous, good, warm-hearted people. Yep. All right. Well, that is it for uh, this Summer Mode episode of The Briefing. Thank you for listening. Hope you're having an amazing holiday. And if, you know, like many people, you are actually having to work through this period, thank you for your service and hope you get a break at some stage soon. A Podcast One production.